Transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potable Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0073, Face Condoms and Dead Llamas. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. Welcome. I'm Kevin McRae. I'm your host of this podcast, and I'm here to tell you this podcast may contain mature language. If that's something that bothers you, then tread carefully. On this episode, we are going to be taking a double dip again in feature presentation. We will be taking on Burnt and our brand is Crisis. We have a South American themed cocktail and cocktail corner and so many more things. So let's head into the cantina and into our VIP booth and get today's show started. Sitting across from me, she's the head organizer of the Sierra Nevada Movie Club. She is the one to thank or blame for our annual Oscar parties. Her name is Heathen. Hello. Heathen, when you were doing drama, dramas, and actings, and tragedies, did you do mouth exercises, warm-ups, vocal warm-ups, or inquire? Yes, and inquire. What kind of warm-ups did you do? Like uh, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Like plug that butt. And bumblebee, 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 bumblebee. Plug that butt, plug that butt. Plug Um, that butt with butter and rum. Pretty sure they wouldn't allow us to sing that. Um, If I would have done that, then I would have been fine. How about plug that boot? That's the Canadian version. Beer Maker Matt may be joining us. Our podcast typically takes place at the same time and same place every single day of the week. But we've seen no no hide, no hair of him. Although there's not much hair to see of of him, especially after he shaved his beard uh, for his mask that we ruined. Um, So I do not have any written out notes, so I'm having to refer to my phone. I don't have usually too many notes anyway, but I like to write a few down. I like to write down some focus words that uh, I might want to pay attention to. But anyway, I don't think I have anything else to cover before we jump right in. Uh, I should say, anytime you hear a sound like this, Uh, that's, that's fine to hit this baby. Then go ahead and drink along with us at home, preferably alcohol, but if you are, uh, a baby, or if you are driving, or if you are a pilot, then perhaps you should have something non-alcoholic. Heathen, drink! She always tries to shirk her duties. A 
And that is what you should do with your duty, is flush it, not shirk it. Alright, let's see what's going on today in film history. In film history! You know whose birthday it is today, Heathen? No. Born November 4th, 1969, out of Uvald. Do you know that city in Texas? Is it Uvald or Uvald? No, I don't. He now currently resides in Austin, Texas. And he also went to the University of Texas at Austin. He's an all-around Texas kind of guy. His name is Matthew David McConaughey. And his birthday is striking the 45-year anniversary today. Hmm. I don't know what that is. Is that like cardboard? Well, happy birthday. If you guys haven't seen uh, Jim Carrey parody the uh, Cadillac commercials or whatever they are that that uh, Matthew McConaughey does, then you should check those out. They're pretty spot on. I was thinking of Matthew McConaughey today, as well as, uh, I believe, George Clooney I was thinking of. Not in a sexual way. Well, you were alone, so I'm not really sure about No, that. just in a way. How I was thinking of <laughs> actors that had started out in like really crappy movies or something like that. Um, Matthew McConaughey started out in really horrible horror movies before he got to Dazed and Confused. And um, sometimes you don't always know that these stars are going to break out and be like kind of superstars. Like George Clooney from Roseanne. Who knew that he was going to become something? True. Hmm. Very true. You ready for your news? Yes. All right. Let's jump into your news. Hollywood has lost another big piece today. Melissa Matheson, the screenwriter behind E.T., the Black Stallion has uh, passed away at 65 hmm. today. 65. Yeah, it's pretty young. Mm-hmm. Female, female screenwriter of some family hits. Well, I liked both of those. Sure. Who doesn't like E.T.? If you didn't like E.T., then you don't have a heart, which E.T. will poke. <laughs> and his heart lights up. If you had an E.T. toy as a kid... You would know, even a stuffed E.T., he had a little heart on him. I have a heart on on me sometimes. Hmm. I have uh, a heart on right now. You do? Perhaps. Is it made of stone? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bing Bong from... Bing In- Bong, the witch is dead, but he is still here to give us head. From inside out. Um, he was the imaginary friend of, uh, what was her name? Royce, Joyce. Joy? Joy. No. Oh, I can't remember what the character's Riddick, name was. Rizik. <laughs> and turns out that he was inspired by the beloved comedian John Candy. Um, his part in Plane, Trains, and Automobile, uh, Candy's character of Dale Griffith from the classic 1987 comedy, had a big influence on Bing Bong's character. He was so happy to have a friend uh, made in Steve Martin's Neil Page that he doesn't really notice that Page is significantly less enthused about having to met him 
Bing Bong is much the same when he meets the other um, emotions. He was just excited to have them there. And they died in the same way, which is interesting. Both trying to escape subconscious, or no, where memories were dumped by an imaginary wagon. Uh, her name was Riley. Riley. Mm-hmm. So, Bing Bong, played by Richard Kind, uh, was inspired by John Candy, everyone's favorite Canadian, after Michael J. Fox. Angelina Jolie Pitt has talked about her uh, duality in being a director and an actor in the movie By the Sea. Um, she was talking about how she thought that most of the people that were on the set thought she was crazy because of her calling cut. Um, there's a whole reel of her calling cut. If a doctor saw it, they might have put her on medication um, because there was uh, a time where she was hysterically calling, crying and then calling cut or during a sex scene with Brad, she would call cut. And um, she said you'd have to laugh at how bizarre it was. It's the first time in a decade that Jolie Pitt and her husband have starred together in a film. Not if you ask he, then. She says yeah. they do every single movie together. It was more of just a freaking joke. God. Um, that would be interesting to direct your own sex scenes. Be like, come on. Suck it harder. Make me a sandwich. Cut. We were, I was just talking about Angelina Jolie today uh, because of Billy Bob Thornton that we saw in the movie Our Brand is Crisis. And I was talking about how um, he's been thin for a while, but he was especially thin in that movie. And just to compare him to his Sling Blade days. And that um, he's such a gruesome looking guy that he must have some sort of sexual black magic to have gotten Angelina Jolie pretty much at the height of her attractiveness and probably the height of her career and the height of her craziness. And now she seems somewhat normal. And that I think that he is such a black magic wizard that he fucked the crazy out of her. Maybe. Is what we were discussing. Hmm. And I think he's Quite the one possibly. that left her. I may, I may be mistaken on that. But that's... If you're the man that fucked the crazy out of Angelina Jolie and then left her, you deserve like some sort of Lifetime Achievement Award right away. Well, then I think you have just given it to him. Hmm. Come on the show, Billy Bob. Hit some babies with us. And, yeah, um, that's fine to hit this baby. And, uh, and receive your um, reward, which will probably be a Dora the Explorer sticker. Interesting. Or he can carry my blood around his neck and the necklace if he wants. And I really don't like giving my blood up, so that's actually a big thing. I don't even like being pricked by those needles. I don't like shots. I don't like needles. I don't like my leg being gashed. I don't like abrasions. You don't like being skint? Rug burn's not so bad, but everything else I don't like. Because rug burn, you don't get blood. Unless you get rug burn so bad that you bleed. And that's some really hardcore fucking that only Billy Bob Thornton can give to you in front of the fireplace. Is that your news? That's my news. All right, let's head into Cocktail Corner. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting yeah. stinking on something I stir or shake. Yeah. 
So here in Cocktail Corner, I wanted to make something that was related to the movie we saw, Our Brand is Crisis, which took place in Bolivia. So I don't know too much about Bolivia. Um, I looked up on Wikipedia, and it lists two very common bases for alcohols. One is called Singani, and it is the Bolivian national drink. I could not find that in Reno. And the other one is called um, Pisco, which is typically made in like Chile and Peru, not made in Bolivia. Both of them, I think, are branded as a kind of brandy or um, not brand classified. They're both grape based. So we are going to make a drink called a Pisco Sour. Pisco, by the way, is spelled P-I-S-C-O. So I may be mispronouncing that. Pisco Sour, there's several versions of it. I guess the most recognized way is with Pisco, lemon juice, simple syrup, and egg white. However, we're going to go more of the Chilean version, which does not use the egg white, also does not use bitters. You, you do put a little bit of bitters on top as a garnish. Um, there are other versions of it. Some use pineapple, some use like... Um, like cocoa, like, uh, you know, co cocoa leaf, something like that. So we are going to make a more of a simplified version, Pisco Sour, Pisco being the base, and Sour uh, just coming that um, it, these usually either use lime juice or lemon juice. So the versions can really change depending on the kind of Pisco you use, because being that it is grape-based, I guess um, the type of grape um, can slightly change or even the area the Pisco is produced or what kind of lime or lemon you use because that can totally change things too. So we are going to um, make a little bit of this and uh, these are traditionally served in old-fashioned glasses so we're gonna try a little bit. I've never had Pisco before. I'm not a big brandy fan. Heathen is so I'll let her maybe try a little bit of this before we make it. I want to sniff a little bit of that and taste it. This Pisco, I could not find. Mm, definitely smells like brandy. Uh, but this Pisco is from Peru. Um, the Pisco Sour, as a matter of fact, originated in Peru. Oh, it is different. And it was invented by an American bartender. That is one thing I found is interesting. There's a lot of these famous cocktails that were originated in Paris or Singapore, or in this case, Peru. And almost all of them were made by American bartenders. So I, I always think that's I interesting. I wonder if they it's because they had somebody come up from that city that said, make me this. Probably something like that. We were watching that one um, cocktail, or I was, I don't know if you watched that one, with Alton Brown about the cocktails. And he was talking about the origin, uh, origin of like the sidecar or something. And it, and it was invented in Mexico by an American bartender. And he, it wasn't the sidecar. I forgot what he, it was, a mar, it was the invention of the margarita. And the sidecar, I think it was a sidecar, was very popular, but he didn't have the ingredients to make a sidecar, so he used what was around that was closest to it, and he ended up making a margarita. And um, so that might have happened in some of these some of these cases. So with our version of the Pisco Sour, we are going to use four and a half ounces of the Pisco. This brandy is uh, clear; it's not the darker color that you're used to so yeah and i was looking um it said it can be um it is usually clear 
sometimes it's it it can be uh what what do they describe it as um let me see if i can find it here um pisco is colorless or yellowish to amber colored brandy produced in winemaking regions of peru and chile it is made by distilling grape wine into a high proof spirit which i believe is is basically how brandy is made um so four and a half ounces of pisco three ounces of lemon or lime juice we're going to use three ounces of key lime juice for this version i'm using nelly and joe's famous key wine key lime uh, juice oops squirted a little bit on the table so I went just just shy of three ounces on that one and uh, two ounces of simple syrup instead of simple syrup we're going to use the agave which we used last time that's and actually I'm not going to use two ounces on this because the agave syrup is even sweeter than the simple syrup so I'm going to do about three-fourths of an ounce or maybe even less on that And then that's all we're going to do. We're going to forego the um, egg white and the uh, the bitters, as I said. We're going to shake it. This is a shaken and strained drink, even though it is typically served in an old-fashioned glass. The blue glass is kind of tipping, so I don't know if you want to use that one. So I gave it a little shaky shake, and now it's um, taken on the color of the... Uh, key lime, so kind of a margarita color now, like a, a sickish urine color, or maybe uh, opaque yellow. That one doesn't look like the lid's all, way, all on it. And I can smell the, the key lime on it, so anything you want to toast to? Um, first snowfall was on Monday. All right, let's drink to that. Pretty heavy on the sour, so it is yeah. very much like a like a margarita. It tastes mm -hmm. like too. I'm gonna take a little sippy sip of this pisco on its own. See yeah, what it tastes I like. would say not so much on the sour. It almost tastes like soap when you first put it in your mouth. Well, I was just following the directions, except for I put in less syrup. I put in about half half the syrup. Is so it, it would for. definitely be like a margarita. Oh, this pisco is not bad. I don't. I'm not a big brandy fan, but it's a little bit. Sweeter. Definitely different than a brand. Although but you, when you smell it. Although I might, might, I might not be tasting it accurately because I'm pouring the shot glass that had the agave in it. Let me drink it out of the bottle like a man. So yeah, I like it much better than a regular brandy. It tastes more like the, um, like the pear brandy or something that you got from McMenamins without the pear. It's, it's much smoother. So you don't like the darker brandies? I just think that brandy, a lot of the brandies, cognacs, things like that, things that are designed to be savored, um, I just think are gross. Maybe I haven't got used to them. I've tried some fairly pricey cognacs, but I mean, even even just the regular go-tos like the Martell, the Hennessy, 
the uh, Cavassiers, like I just think they're so gross. And then yeah, like brandy, not not a big fan of it. And I don't drink eggnog, so there's no reason for me ever to buy it. This has kind of, and this was the at Total Wine they had a four about four different piscos pis, piscos there. This was the cheapest of the bunch. It was about twenty two dollars, twenty one, twenty two dollars. Um, so I don't know what the more expensive Piscos taste like. The only bad thing I can say about this is it's really smooth, but it's, it's got a little bit of, um, like a pepper, um, just like very alcoholy at the end. Mm -hmm. Like if I was going to burp right now, it would just taste like alcohol. Well, it's definitely the brandy, but it's different than a brandy after yeah, I wouldn't like that drink at all. It's way too much for me. Too sweet. Well, I'll go ahead and finish drinking it on my own, and maybe I'll add a little bit of that syrup to it. Here we go with the squirt. We're going to go ahead and head into... We do have a secret word today, Heathen. I don't usually do a secret word when there's just one other person. But there is a secret word. Let's head into feature presentation. We just got word from beer maker Matt that he's passed out somewhere in the vicinity of his house. So we will continue on without him. Um, all right, so let me refer to my phone notes. We are covering two movies today. Um, it worked out well, and I like when this happens, when you wouldn't think these two films would be that related other than they both had um, somewhat considered A-list stars that both failed are uh, these uh, with movies that both failed miserably at the box office? So, Burnt is with a runtime of 101 minutes. Here's a synopsis Adam Jones, played by Bradley Cooper, is a chef who destroyed his career with drugs and diva behavior. He cleans up and returns to London, determined to redeem himself by spearheading a top restaurant that can gain three Michelin stars. We also are covering our brand is Crisis with a runtime of one hour and 48 minutes. Sandra Bullock stars in this political comedy drama from Warner Brothers and director David Gordon Green and inspired by the 2005 documentary of the same name, an expose of a bungled American election campaign in South America. Um, and also, had I known that Beer Maker Matt wasn't going to be here, we also could have covered um, Bird to Spies, which we also saw. But we'll stick to these two. Just a couple notes on each of these. Not too much. Mostly casting directions. Um, for Burnt, David Fincher was originally helmed to direct this 2008 film, just like last week. He was uh, set to direct Steve Jobs. And it was going to have Keanu Reeves attached in the Bradley Cooper role. What? I would have, loved, would have loved to have seen him chop furiously. Whoa. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry what I did back there. I just There's no way he did could have pulled that of, off. A lot of drugs, and I'm very sorry for it now. There's no way he could have pulled that Can off. Can I make you a sandwich or something? Was that a good can of <laughs> No. And um, 
So they both left the project in 2010. One thing, uh, the, the, both of these scripts had been around for a while too. Um, Burnt was originally titled Chef, but John Favreau's movie came out about two years before that, and they had to fight over the title. Then they changed it to Adam Jones. Then they settled on Burnt. I don't particularly like the name of the movie, but I guess it's it fits. And then, um, as I may have discussed before, our brand is Crisis. This script originally had the Sandra Bullock character played by a male. Yeah. And um, I, as I discussed, is that she was reading a lot of scripts going through Hollywood, didn't like anything that was... Um, didn't like anything made for women, so she asked her agent, is there any scripts out there with male leads that I could read that might possibly be something we could do a little flip do on? And she read this one, and the director and screenwriter are all right with switching the gender, which I think added a little bit of something to the movie. I was trying to picture um, a male character, like, I don't, doesn't really, like Adam Scott in there going against billy bob thornton and i just don't think it would have had the same sort of um competition you know like uh well they obviously had to rewrite to to make her more of the under well well, i mean they could have had sex with each other if they were both males i don't think so i think that would have been actually really good but i think to to make her more of an underdog was good to make her female and to make her you know somewhat manip you know it's a man's world as james brown says um so and also again this script this script had been around for a while um i'm gonna talk i'm gonna jump back and forth between these a little bit um both of these as i said didn't do tremendously well in the box office neither of them did very well with the critics they almost have identical rotten tomato scores somewhere around 31 ish um one of my problems with our brand as crisis actually for both movies as i wouldn't see either one was particularly bad to me they're just a kind of movie that a year from now i may not remember our, our brand as crisis had two scenes in it that i was kind of rolling my eyes in the theater too just like really uh but being that its genre was somewhat of a supposed to be like a political drama or or one of these one of these films you've seen them before like wag the dog or something like that. Um, I don't think it handled the politics particularly well, and that's what you want to see in this kind of movie. And they focus more on Sandra Bullock, which is fine, because you need to focus on the characters too. But being that it's not a romantic comedy, that the setting is a political battlefield, I would have liked to have seen them handle that material a little bit better personally, especially because that's my background. A couple scenes that I didn't like, there was one where they, I guess it's supposed to be the bonding moment where you're like, oh, she's letting down her hair and now they're all, all friends. Basically, they all get drunk and do a bunch of drugs and she gets arrested. And this is like the night before a very important like speech and campaign and they're already down. I just didn't find that believable uh, that someone, that a bunch of people that are trained politicians that have been doing this for years are going to go out and act like college students on like the eve of a very important event and for no real reason they were up like four points or something like that right um also supposedly she had had a bunch of problems with drinking and drugs and stuff in the past she was admitted to an asylum because she had depression or issues and stuff like that so they handle those that kind of 
um, issues a little bit lightly too. They mentioned early on that she wasn't drinking anymore, and then yet on this thing they show her just like doing like every drug there. She's wearing a gas mask, doing all that stuff. I didn't really care for that scene, and um, and then there's another scene where they're just it's supposed to be a metaphor of of one of the underdog campaign passing and taking the the um, the challenge and the risks. And they play it out by the two campaign buses on a windy cliff road. And I just thought it was kind of stupid as well. I, I did like the performances overall. I like Sandra Bullock in this movie. I don't always like her in every film. She's kind of hit, hit and miss for me a little bit. She's a little bit... Doesn't have enough that sticks out to me a lot of the time. But I thought she was good in this role. Billy Bob Thornton I thought was was pretty good in this role. I thought some of the dialogue they gave him was kind of dumb like we we've got to give you an extra line to show what a slippery little weasel you are and i again i would have liked to me it it was very much him so i didn't really see him step out of any character i've never seen him play before mm, yeah maybe that's true I, i'm not sure uh i just thought that they did they did enough establishing that he was smug and arrogant and that i did like how in and this is a spoiler in the film how she used some of his i wouldn't call it hubris but some of like they talk about Lao Tzu and art of war and know your enemy and that kind of stuff and and uh one of the things that billy bob's character likes to do is not just beat someone but use their own strategy against them to show that he's even smarter so there's a part at the end where she's reading a book and, and she underlines something and he asks what she's reading and um, she gives him the quote. She's a supposedly reading Faust. And then he turns around and he feeds the quote to his candidate um, to try to show like, hey, look what I did. And then it turns out the quote is not from Faust. It is from one of Hitler's like right-hand men, which is like the capping point in uh, Billy Bob's candidate losing the campaign. So I like that kind of stuff, but they, they did give him a couple lines that just made him just... I, I'm trying to... Some of them I didn't mind. There's like one, he's like, after this, I just want you to know that I'm going to be pleasuring myself to you for hours at a time. That one wasn't so bad, but there was there was just like other ones where he's just like, hey, when we're done here, why don't we just go back and fuck? It's like, come on. Like, I don't really buy that case. You're making him too one-dimensional at this point. With Burnt... Um, well, the only thing I was going to say about the uh, our brand is crisis is I think it's a good time for it to come out. Me too. So at least people who may not be as educated might be looking at our um, new or our upcoming presidential election a little bit differently. Like it might not actually be them talking. There might be somebody behind them. They might. Look at this movie and go, oh, there's other people. Yeah, you, and you make a good point. I don't know how many average people realize that. Um, it's something I would say, like, um, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, the president doesn't have that much power, president and this and that. It's not just that to me, not that the president doesn't have that much power. It really depends on the people they surround themselves with. And we've had some presidents that have surrounded themselves by very good, capable people. Like Clinton um, uh, did, did this. He surrounded himself with very intelligent people. 
And then there's, um, well, I guess it depends if you're going to follow him too. Uh, Bush the second surrounded himself with some weaselly people, but also some fairly capable people. And he chose not to listen to uh, some of those people and decided to listen to Karl Rove instead. But it is, the president is is um, a collection of voices, and he's just sort of the figurehead. He might have his agenda and the things that he wants to push, but he's also a collection. I mean, when you go on, uh, watch a late night talk show, and you see Jimmy Fallon um, doing his monologue, he didn't write any of those jokes. He's got 12 writers that write right, those jokes for him. but a lot them. of people in other states might not see that so if if somebody goes and sees this movie they might see that a little bit i know i was right. just making and that's a point. all i um, am hoping that this movie gets out there and minimum it's, and it's something because i'm not too interested in the american election system or any election system or or or, or politics at, at that um i wouldn't say that level but at that the focus but what does interest to me about that is, and I have some books about it, is um, the marketing side of it, which we try to see in this, like how you market your candidate, um, the slogans they use, the kind of advertisement they use. It's, it's, it's not even really about politics at that point. It's about advertising and marketing. And from a marketing point of view and from a psychology point of view, that's always really interested me how you, you could be Dan Quayle or it could be. Um, Coca-Cola and it's right. like what is the perception that people think of this product and how do we change that and so I would have liked to have seen even more of that in this movie and I would have liked to see the main guy that they were pushing I would have liked to see him have more time as a rounded character they spent a little bit of time developing him and then they kind of made him just a caricature again and didn't really explain too much of his motivations or anything about it it, it would have been because this was Sandra Bullock's character. It was like her um, return to try again. She'd failed a bunch of times. She had, uh, as Billy Bob Thornton said, I thought you retired or died or something. And also the candidate she was representing, he had been president 15 years earlier and, and had failed and been um, you know, pushed out of office. It would have been nice if the film had found some way to Par, uh, make a parallel between those characters more and find some more, more of a relation between them. But instead, they mostly just focused on Sandra Bullock and every, everyone else, even like the kid. But the I intern. kind of found that anyway through just my own thought process. I was like, well, it's obvious that they brought these two together because they both have failed. But maybe that's just me being in my own little well, I, world. I know. I'm just saying the movie could have um, spent more time on the ancillary characters and they didn't all they spent time with with sandra bullock which is fine i just think the movie would have worked better had they focused a little more on the other characters and um and spent a little bit more realistic time in the political realm and, and had it separate itself from other movies that way so let's talk about my husband so burnt um i actually liked burnt a little bit better than our brand is crisis and um i, I did, did too i didn't really dislike it out of the cooking movies that have come out recently chef 100 foot journey um burnt i think chef is my favorite um and then burnt would definitely be the worst of those three but it was still it was still better than i thought it would be um the lunchbox is still my favorite yeah if we're gonna talk going about back that a little bit further sure but yeah. um 
Burnt had a, to me, had a little bit of a similar theme to our Brandis crisis in, in that the main character also had failed in the past and was trying to get his second chance and come around again. Mm-hmm. And for both characters, and I had wrote, written this down in my notes, that it was sort of a theme of karma, especially in Burnt, I saw this more, that in the beginning we see Adam Jones, the, the chef played by Bradley Cooper, He's, he's given himself like a personal penance that he has to do, that he has to shuck one million oysters. And then he, he's keeping a tab in this book and he shucks his uh, one millionth oyster and then he says he's done. And I think that's interesting because you can't, and it's a different take. I was going to say you can't always be the one that says when it's okay and you've served your penance. However, usually for a lot of people, forgiving yourself is harder than having the world forgive you so i thought it was interesting that they that he basically said like i'm fine i'm a rock star i did all this but it was the whole world that said no you're not done you haven't paid your debts yet you haven't you haven't atoned for your your karma which happens um literally but maybe that was just for him to be able to deal with it i mean to go from being a two star chef two star chef to shucking oysters because you did that to yourself anybody can shuck an oyster well, he, he, had, he had burned all his bridges which mm-hmm. is where the, the the title comes from is he had um he had worked in a bunch of like fish markets in america and saved up some money and moved to paris lied his lied his way into a somewhat of a famous kitchen um, the owner of the restaurant had taken Bradley Cooper under his wing. Bradley Cooper had met a lot of chefs and people, and he'd worked his way through the through the kitchen, basically was a, a kitchen rock star. And then somewhere along the way, his ego and drugs and drinking and partying um, got in the way. And then when he had been under the influence of one thing or another, he had done even more stupid things. He'd gotten himself in trouble with drug dealers uh, one of the chefs from that kitchen had left to open his own restaurant, and Bradley Cooper chef. had, um, or Adam Jones, had let rats free in that person's restaurant and called the health inspector and got that guy's restaurant shut down. So, again, the spoiler as far as being karma being paid, we wait almost all the way through the movie. One of the longest, what do they call that, the, the long deal, uh, the long what do you call it in con? The long con? So like the long con is this guy's like, no, it's all for forgiven. We're brothers. Everything's fine. He gets hired into Bradley Cooper's restaurant. It's a sous chef. It's like his number two guy. They, they go through all these things. And then when they think the Michelin guys have come to the restaurant, the sous chef says that's for Paris and and sabotages the what he thinks is the Michelin. What meal. was it, though? It was the... Uh the tarragon. He put cayenne pepper inside in. some mustard or something like that and made it too spicy. It was supposed to be regular pepper and he put in like cayenne pepper, mm-hmm. whatever it was. The, the meal got sent back because they said it was too spicy. Um, but it actually wasn't the Michelin people. Yeah, and uh, and there was other ways. And he was still trying to deal with his atonement in his own way. He didn't want anyone to help him pay for the drug dealers, someone had to do that. So eventually, a lot of it was outside influences that were coming back and forgiving him. I, I would have liked to have seen maybe more of a personal growth. He didn't grow too much personally 
and then what we saw, we just heard about all the fucked up things he did. And then once he's on screen, he has some bad moments, like a lot of chefs that we see. If you watch Hell's Kitchen or something like that, he's a guy that yells at people and he wants everything perfect. He basically, well, he tells the kitchen, if it's not perfect, we don't send it out. And why did you serve that? Why'd you do this? And he yells at everyone, screams. Again, just imagine something like Hell's Kitchen. Right, but for... uh movie perspective um they had the psychologist going um why aren't you in classes like how do you plan to maintain your sobriety and he's like i am cool but then when he cracked he actually showed up at his um rival rival i was gonna say a different word but um at his rival's uh restaurant plastered and he took care of him. I think that was my favorite relationship um, mm-hmm. in the film, and they even describe it in the very near the beginning as Mozart and Salieri. Salieri. So if you're not familiar, well, if you've never seen the film um, Amadeus, or you're not familiar with him, uh, Salieri was like the court composer, and he was really well known, and he was cultured, and he was like the top of his game. And then Mozart came along, and he was this young kid that just had natural talent. They could sit there and just write symphonies while he was masturbating and um, broke a lot of rules. And Salier always wanted to be better than Mozart, and he couldn't. And um, they had somewhat of a rivalry. Mostly it was, it was a one-way game. And that really was, they, they said the same thing in this movie, is the guy that was the, quote, Salier said, we need you, Adam Jones, because you push all of us to be our best. You're the best, and we just strive to be as good as you. So you push all of us. I thought that was kind of cheesy. But I did like the other scenes where they were like friendly rivals, sort of like Siskel and Ebert, where they would go to each other's openings of their restaurants, and they would talk shit to each other. But they weren't necessarily too malicious. They were mean, like verbally. Mm -hmm. Like, when did you start cooking shit? Like, it seems like I heard a rumor that you lost your touch, and apparently you did. And then, you know, that kind of thing I thought was pretty cool. I thought that was way more interesting than the... with the bag. I thought that was way more interesting than the Sienna Miller uh, stuff and and that kind of um, part. And I guess at the end, they did show some growth. He, he still... Uh, Adam Jones still didn't um, bow to what he thought. There's a part when um, the, the real Michelin, they think, comes in. And instead of Bradley Cooper freaking out and everything, he just says, we just do what we always do. Basically like a really good sports team. It's like we always, we're not going to pr- treat these people any different than we treat anyone else because we're always going to do everything perfect anyway. That's what he wanted for his kitchen in the beginning. Yeah, just to be perfect so, all the time. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like he had trained them a little bit, but he'd also calm down, which they also show when he joins the family meal. Well, so I think the, that's once the... So the kitchen, they, they cook a, a family meal for themselves that they all eat together, and he always uh, sits alone, separate, which is kind of something that I would have done to show that I'm... I always gave myself chef. a little bit of separate... Well, not necessarily chef. chef, just let them bond, for one, and two, give that little bit of distance to show that I'm still the authority. Mm-hmm. Mm, I wouldn't always do that, but... So I didn't see anything wrong with that too much. Um, I liked that they both, both films somewhat talk about mentors. Sandra Bullock's was her father and a little bit actually uh, Billy Bob. 
and um, Adam Jones, we never meet his mentor. He's just talked about a lot. John Luke or something, the owner of the restaurant. It was yeah, his, John Luke. He his father away. figure and his and and uh, Adam Jones must have been somewhat of a son figure to John Luke because he passed on his kitchen knives, which were like the most. And not only passed them on, but sharpened them personally before he died because he told John Luke told his daughter that Adam Jones needs everything perfect, so I'm going to you know cut these myself. Um, I always thought it was interesting. I never really had a mentor myself in anything like that. It would be kind of nice. Um, in some ways, my when I was younger, my uncle was somewhat of a mentor, although nothing specific. It was more like a real-life role model. Like, we should do this. We should be. Uh, we should do things outdoors. We should play sports. We should smile. We should try to treat each other nice. But it wasn't anything necessarily like... I want to specific be like skills. <clears throat> I mean, he did teach me how to golf and, and do a few things. Um, my friend Tim took me under his wing a little bit to show me some things in playing basketball. It would try to help me on my on my shot. And I guess I would sort of model myself in certain ways. I would watch that and, and try to copy that. But I, I can't think of anything like, you know, even in, and not in a big way. When I was working on films in L.A., there was a lot of people I'd go up to and I'd ask if I could watch or help or if they could teach me something. And everyone was okay with it. I remember this one assistant director, not assistant director, assistant um, cameraman. He, uh, he, he would often, um, since he saw I was interested, would often pull me to the side and show me certain things like how to, uh, how to um, roll film and things like that. But again, no one that really was planted firmly in my life for a long amount of time. And as far as myself, I don't think I was ever a long-term mentor for anyone. I, I did a lot of short-term mentoring myself, whether as a manager and trying to train people how to sell or customer service or um, as a teacher. The biggest I can think of is when I was in China with Eugene is I played basketball like 30 hours a week. And there would be people that you wouldn't think that I could be a mentor for. There was college students that were on the college basketball team that were like, you know, twice as big as me and way better. And they would just, I would just tell them little things like, hey, you're way bigger than me. Why don't you try doing this instead of this? Why don't you just turn around and shoot over me instead of trying to um, do something that would be called as a foul and, you know, um, keep the ball high because someone like me might, might, you know, just knock it out of your way or... Um, you know, I would I would always be telling people little things that they could they could work on. But again, I never had like a personal person that I thought I mentored as a whole. I can't think of like any personal mentors other than Mr. Rose, my choir teacher, for a couple a very short time in high school, maybe a year and a half. Um, he was pretty in in few influential mm -hmm. to me um because it was uh my freshman and oh half yeah i don't do that to you when you're speaking drink um half of my sophomore year in westlake there um when i went into high school choir Things changed. It wasn't just a big choir. It was a group. And everybody had, you know, the Corling Quartet. We had the Singing Sopranos. We had seven or eight groups. 
along with our choir that you had to try out for, and he was very influential in influential. I can't talk. Please don't. <laughs> That's fine to hit this baby. Influential drink. Influential. Influential drink. Okay. So you were in this big choir. The choir had a bunch of other subsets and other groups of singing people. And what did he do that was mentorish? Um, well, when it came time to try out, um, depending on the size of the group that you were trying out for, you would try out in the group um, to find out where you would. I mean, obviously, in the in the choir of three hundred and fifty people, it's a big choir. Yeah, that was the size of my school in Incline when I transferred. So it was a big transition for me. Um, and I could probably be part of, part of a choir if it's 350 people. Well, just the choir. Uh, you would sing be nice with chair. Mr. Rose in front of his um, piano in front of everybody. And he would tell you where you would belong. You would First sing soprano, in, you second would sing soprano. in front of 349 people. Yeah, just whatever you felt like. That'd be hard for me. No, it was very easy for me. I'm fine. You're very easy, I know. Thank you. Um, not sure how you would know that. Anyway, um, but when it Mr. came Rose time, told me. when it came time to trying out for the smaller groups, the um, of course I wasn't the Coraline Quartet because that's boys, but they had um, the smaller four or five or seven groups of female so um, they're all like acapella groups mm -hmm. then he would pull you into another room and it would be just you and him and he would give me so much advice he'd be like you don't have to worry do this do that and that's where i got a lot of my um comfort or confidence in singing around him just to try out so that's good because that's what I was saying is is a mentor is more than just teaching. So I think it's showing a skill, but also showing how to live your life while doing that skill. And that's why I said like my uncle was more of a role model, didn't really show skills too much. And then I had people that showed me skills that weren't really role models. Um, again, when I first started playing guitar, my brother would show me like a couple like, you know, things on guitar, which I picked up really fast, especially with him showing me. But again, it wasn't really, again, like a Mr. Miyagi thing. He didn't really say, like, you should practice like this or you should do this. He would just say, well, this is how you play this ACDC song. I'd be like, oh, well, that's cool because I didn't know how to do anything. And this was, you know, pre where you could look up everything on the Internet. It was helpful. Got me started on things. Um, Just real quickly, I would say as far as career, I would say it's... um my girlfriend, Melody, she's been in banking since she got out of high school. And that's how I met her. I actually knew her sister from my high school. She's a couple of years younger than me. Um, and she's the one that kind of got me to, on my path to banking. But that's all I have to say. That's fine. I don't have too much else to cover. I wrote down, and this is more about burnt was control and this and this related more burnt related more to the film steep jobs than to our brand crisis on this and that they were both pretty similar as he then mentioned when adam jones is going to his therapy sessions or or whatever 
they're not even really supposed to be therapy sessions. They're more just um, drug tests, and she happens to give him some free advice while he's there. And she talks about something like, why are you driven to do this? Why do you need to do these things? And um, and he kind of gives us reasons. And then she says, well, what what made you this way? What happens if you don't get this? And he's like, well, I'll, you know, I'll die. So for him, it's like doing everything perfect is life and you need control. He says it's the only thing he's ever been good at, the only place he ever felt comfortable and everything has to be perfect. And if it's not, then that's like his whole identity. He'd rather just be dead because he'd rather not exist. And that's how it was for a long time. And we saw that in the Steve Jobs movie, too, when um, he's talking to him about the adoption. And and they're talking about, um, it seems like a lot of his, we, we mentioned this on last week's podcast, that, that's, that, uh, that Steve Jobs is making a lot of his decisions and he needs so much control and he's he's almost dictatorial mm-hmm. in his control because he feels like, again, according to the movie, that when he was a baby, he didn't have control over his parents or being adopted or anything like this. So ever since then, it's been his life goal to control every little thing. Which, if you are a, a genius or you have a, a vision... In the movie, he says he's the conductor that plays the orchestra. If you can see the long-term goal and you know the way to get there and you can't rely on 150 other voices in your way telling you there's this way and that way and, and get bogged down, sometimes you need to be, you need to have a certain amount of control. Um, that is kind of like where I was, um, not to get off the path, but um, raising a teenager or raising a teenager and two stepkids. I quickly realized that, hey, I'm the only one that's going to be able to actually do this, step up to the plate, and so I needed to take control, and I needed my area, and whoever did not fall in line, um, I had issues with. So I definitely identify with uh, Steve Jobs, and... uh, Adam, what's his name? Adam Jones. Yeah, definitely identify with them at that time when I was trying to raise teenagers because, God, they're fucking crazy. I believe, um, I'm checking right now. Yeah, uh, Adam Jones is also the name of the guitar player in Tool, I believe. Hmm. So that's a pretty common name. I'm sure there's about 150 Adam Jones out there. I wrote down also, we talked about this on the podcast before, about where do you belong, where do you feel comfortable. Um, Adam Jones says, as I mentioned, the only only place he's ever felt in control was in the kitchen or where he belonged. It was a sense of belonging as soon as he got there. Um, For Sandra Bullock, part of the movie, her character in the movie kind of it bookends it and we find out that she's not left politics but she's left campaigning to go into more of a um of a rights an activist type of movement and she's found her calling a little bit her position for her it was more of a journey i don't think she felt it right away she had gotten into campaigning because of her dad and she'd worked her way through it there's a line in the movie a quote from Billy Bob that it comes from another source. I'm not sure where it comes from. And he says, and you can see this in the preview, he says, you fight with monsters long enough, you become a monster. 
And I can kind of see that. I mean, you see that a lot with all the time in, in politics, police work, um, especially police work in movies, like where you get the dirty cops or whatever, but they didn't start out dirty. They just want to get the criminal so bad that they start planting evidence and things like that. That to equalize things, if you're going to fight the bad people, you got to be the same as the bad people. And she finds that she doesn't really like that, that it's become too personal to her. And she doesn't like it being personal, so um, she's tried to make herself distant from the campaigning and not want to know the country, not want to know the people. In the movie, she starts to get in touch with the people that are there, and that's when she becomes somewhat of an activist for Mm -hmm. South America and Bolivia. So that's where she belongs. Um, I know we talked about it before on the podcast, but there was it was a situation where you walked into either work or a hobby or just among people, and you're like, "Oh, this is where I I finally feel at home. I've been a lost orphan all my life, alone at sea, and now I found my people." Uh, maybe the well, that's not even true because I didn't even like that Asian woman. Uh, the Tibetan classes that I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had an Asian woman that was quite angry. So I don't know if that's the quite right thing to say. Um, I can't remember what my answer was last time. And I remember I did have an answer. But right now, off the top of my head, at least recently... I can't really think of an example for me, and it's something I think about quite a bit right now, that um, I find myself not necessarily lonely, but in a certain a certain aspect lonely, because I feel like there's a lot, not a lot of people that can relate to what I'm trying to talk about or I'm coming from. I either feel like they have a different life experience, or in Reno, I feel like they're just not smart enough, because I have met people that I felt are just too smart for me and I can't talk to them. Most of my life, they've been too yeah, dumb. I feel that way, but, too. But sometimes I get to people, I was like, okay, you guys are talking about all this other crap. And um, so... Uh, for it's definitely for, location. For me, I guess it's just sometimes among certain friends, but I haven't had that for a while. When you have that ease of similar background, similar sense of humor, and... You know, not that I do like improv or comedy, but when you get relaxed enough, I guess I can do it with Eugene a little bit up here, but when you can just start like almost just making stories between the two of you and you can just keep going with it or music or something like that. Like I haven't had that for a while where I just feel like I can talk about something and and just turn it into a joke and that other person like improvisational jazz can just jump in as well. No, I miss that too. I guess, I guess I would say because uh, I made my first uh, vegan cupcakes. That is baking is a big thing to me, and I haven't done it in quite some time. Um, and when I brought the cupcakes to work, they pretty much some of them thought I like treated me like I was feeding them poison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> non-dairy it's crazy really good cupcakes but eventually everybody ate one but 
I would say that that's uh, definitely something that I miss. Sometimes if I get around movie people that aren't too snobby or too arrogant or too egotistical, I feel at home among them when I can start talking about TV and movies and I don't feel like I'm going to be judged because I say I liked Happy Gilmore or something like that. Or like I can talk about like some like kind of... There's some people in the movie group once in a while. Someone will show up and they'll ask about a movie and then we'll start talking and then they'll talk about like a comic book movie and then I'll turn to comic books and we talk about that and I feel like, oh, this is really easy. We have a lot of things we can talk about where other people can't follow us. And then there's other people that know a lot about movies and as soon as they start talking, they'll be like, well, that movie was stupid or I don't care for that. Or they just, or they're the other way where they're just like, well, I like everything. I don't really, I don't have a comment. I thought it was cute. So I don't know. As I said, I don't really... Well, that's usually me. Um, But I would say, I guess, let's just start being more um, like us. And... But it brings me to something that I liked in Burnt, and I don't think that they did it particularly great, but I like that he did it. There's a part where Adam Jones goes to have his first meeting with Sienna Miller, a cook who he has a chef he's run into that he admires her ability and he invites her to meet at Burger King and she is just like why would you invite me to this fucking place and he's like and he's sitting there eating and enjoying himself and he's like well why not one it's easy to find two there's no wait times and three the food's actually not that bad and 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 to me it goes back it's not the greatest analogy but it does go back to there's some people that are They can be film snobs that'll just be like, well, Adam Sandler's in that, so that movie's got to be horrible. Or it can go to... Well, he also said it was cheap, too. It's cheap, and he Mm -hmm. said it's like French peasant food, and he he goes Mm -hmm. off on all of this. But um, it can go to, I've had people with beer. You know, I get it all the time where I'm like, well, you know, I like to have like a PBR when I'm eating chips and and nachos because I'm not going to eat that with a Newcastle. I'm not going to eat it with any really refined beer because you're going to lose all the nuance in the beer when you're eating something really spicy. There might be another beer you can pair with it, but people are like, I would never drink PBR because I only drink $10 beers. So the fuck what? I drink $10 beers too. There's a time and place for everything. Um, You can get it with people that drink wine. You can get it with food. You can get it with comedy. Um, I just, and, and, and and I am that way in some points. I mean, I do put things down. But I'm also, I don't put things down just because, oh, that's the way the cheap people do it. Like, I think that there's, you can't put something down just because it's cheap or because the common people do it. Just because something's popular doesn't always mean it's shitty. Sometimes it does, and often it does. But just because everyone likes um, Game of Thrones pretty much, I mean, no one's like saying that's shitty just because everyone likes it. But it, sometimes it does. If, if Game of Thrones was on CBS or something, well, it'd be different because it wouldn't have like beheadings and tits. But I think because it's on HBO and it's harder to get and it's, it's a little bit more of a rarity. And same thing with Walking Dead. Um, people always want like something special, like something uh, exclusive that only they have. And if, and if everything's common to everyone, then it's shit. And I don't really like that attitude. I agree. I hate, I, I have a lot of friends that are like film elitists and I go to a movie with them and I can tell even before the movie started that they're like, you can feel the energy coming off of them. They haven't even given the movie a chance yet. 
And it's just because, like, well, this is a horror movie. I don't watch horror movies because horror movies are for the lower class. And then it turns out, like, to me, the movie's really intelligent and plays with the cliche and has a lot to say. And then we're leaving and talking about it. And I was like, I like this. And then he's like, well, I just did not care for it. I have really learned a lot about movies the past uh, almost three years. And my eyes I, obvious well, my eyes have been opened i generally like all of the movies but uh i would say three years ago i wouldn't have i would be one of those people i'm not gonna go see that movie i'm not gonna go see that movie and where now i'm like sure let's well, go see it well if it's not to your taste i mean you don't generally like horror movies so you might but not there's go see a it lot of movies that are not to my taste that i go and see i'm like i really like that well, yeah, you can. You know, a lot of people, you know, when, when he then she tries to do her chick flick meetups or whatever. And it's like, I say, I'm not against chick flicks. I'm just up against bad movies. And most chick flicks, again, like talking about Nicholas Spark films, are bad. But there's other chick flicks, like When Harry Met Sally, that I really like. It's probably my top 50 movies. So if a movie's done well, I'm going to like it. You if don't need to bash my chick flick meetups. A, no, I'm just. If it's a, a meetup that I want to do, then. No, I'm saying when I say I don't want to go see that movie, and they're like, well, it's a chick flick. That's why you don't want to go. And I was like, no, that's not why I don't want to go. One, I don't want to go because I think girls should have like a bonding time on their own, and that's cool. And two, I don't want to go see a shitty movie. It's not because it's a chick flick. Goes back to the Christian Slater I thing when I used to bag Christian Slater and they're like, you're never just jealous. that to you about that. No, other people would. Like, other people in our movie. Okay. In our movie group. saying to me. I was like, it's not me. I say it for other reasons. Please come. And I can have my own preferences, too. Something may not be necessarily bad, just bad to me. Like, I continuously say that Ryan Gosling is overrated. I'm not saying he's bad. He's just overrated. When I see the preview for the film The Big Short which is number four on my anticipated movies of December. I think the cast looks amazing. Christian Bale is one of my favorite actors. I think Steve Carell will probably be the best actor in the movie. Brad Pitt just looks... I like it because he looks different in it. He's like looks like a weird, bearded, you know, economics looks professor. Looks like himself? No, not well. Looks like himself, I guess, in real life, but not yeah. like he ever looks like in a movie. And then Ryan Gosling is just playing like a greasy version of himself that he always plays, and I hate his voice. Mm, if you could tell me the difference between illegal and idiot. So you just don't like him. It's okay to say that. I mean, I am not one of those chicks that's like, oh, the notebook. I never have been. I didn't even see the notebook until like two years ago. I like the part. Talking about that hamburger part about, um, he does say, he said, you know what's wrong with this? When they're in Burger King, he says it's, it's because it's consistent. He says food shouldn't be consistent. I I actually disagreed with that somewhat, but I know that's why McDonald's and Starbucks are very popular because you can go to Starbucks in San Jose, you can go to uh, Starbucks in Palo Alto, you can go to a Starbucks in Beijing and it'll all be the same. You know what the menu is, you know what you're going to get, there's no surprises, there's there's, there's a a comfortness to it. Now you can be consistent and still be good, I don't think that there's anything wrong with being consistent. The problem with being consistency, with being consistent, whether you're a cook or a baker, is if you think that you have it to a T, you forget to taste it. Every once in a while, you still need yeah, well, to he, taste your batter. You still need to taste your what you're cooking. That's not his point in the movie, though. I can I see that. I think it was. No. 
his, his point in the movie consistency is they're not he he says um well i have a different because he he asks he says well why do why do chefs cook and she says well it's uh it's like an extension of our feeling he says exactly cooking is like a passion it's an extension of our feeling we can't always feel the same way it's got to be this and this and i was like i don't really agree with that this is different because it has nothing to do with what with cooking really but i disagree with you but for me it's the difference between beer and wine and it's one reason i like beer and on the same side the same reason i like wine you can have a zinfandel the same region in 2012 and then 2013 and they can taste completely different because of the weather and other conditions and i think that's kind of cool and that's why when I get like wine and my brother just drinks the whole thing in one gulp and says, I'm going to go to the store and get you another one. I say, you can't. That wine, you can never re- replace again. That's a life. That's a memory. And a, that's a that's a one. That's a one time only wine where beer like Newcastle, like one of my go to beers. I like it. It's I, I like the taste of it. And it's always going to taste the same. So he was more talking about consistency as you go to McDonald's, you're you're going to expect this well that's what i was saying i don't think that's what he was saying he was saying that um, and that's not what he wants he was just saying that there wasn't really any passion in it there isn't because there's nobody cooking you go from the freezer to the yeah frying pan i don't think that i mean i i eat a lot of things that i think are delicious i can tell you that my feelings were hurt by several co-workers of mine because they really when I say that they thought I was feeding them poison, I'm not kidding you. They wouldn't eat the cupcake until other coworkers were like, this shit's pretty good. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I tasted these cupcakes as well, and it's not like I'm afraid of vegan because there's nothing wrong with it i mean i'm probably more afraid of eating tripe or something like that but it was just like okay well what is because i've had some pretty disgusting vegetarian or vegan stuff before it's like so what is this going to be like is this going to be something that i will enjoy because there's a difference between something i can eat and something i want to eat and i thought it would be like well this is something i could eat and then i ate it and it was actually pretty good Mm -hmm. i mean it was something that i would have bought or or you know chosen to eat because I'm a banker, and I'm like, oh, I didn't. A ba- well, I'm both, actually. That used to be my marketing thing. Mm. I loved it. Loved it for selling checking accounts and selling cakes. <laughs> I did. I'm a banker okay. and a baker. We got loved it. Loved it. Um, anyway. That's everything I have for as far as topics and things I wanted to cover in the movie, I believe. Is there anything else you wanted to cover in the movie before we go to your ranks? No. So you ready for your, your, your ranks? Can I see them? You don't have them. I asked you yesterday or two days ago to rank... Oh, dang it. Five things that you are your favorite things to prepare. Do you want me to just give you five things? No, I was thinking about it. The five. So I gave Heathen two days ago. I said, uh, tell me your five favorite food dishes to prepare. This is also a topic we had on the podcast before, but it wasn't five. We just said, like, what is one of your, like, your go-to dish if you're on a date or something and you wanted to impress someone? And I think Matt talked about some sort of manicotti or something like that. 
I don't remember what he even talked about, but it was something. So her ranks right now is her five, not things to like um, impress people, but her five things that like it's the most fun for her to prepare. I do like to prepare um, prime rib. Okay. I do like to prepare Thanksgiving dinner. All right. Um, <laughs> no, I'm thinking, okay, a turkey, prime oh, rib. Okay. Um, salmon. Okay. Uh, a custom cake <laughs> and I don't know mm. so that was four things very successful list of five things very well prepared I apologize but I really do like to make those things There's I'm really good at and spaghetti okay I'm you... really good at spaghetti too well, I wasn't talking about what you're good at. I was talking about things you enjoy doing. You enjoy making spaghetti? I do. You enjoy cooking salmon? I really do. Because hmm. uh, I'm good at it. <laughs> All right, let's go into last call. Last call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. All I see is a matter's fate. So I followed the directions on this on this cocktail, and it is a very lemony. I can't believe how much citrus they called for. So I don't think it would be bad. Just maybe less lemon and, and still more of the sweet, because I did cut the sweet by, like, more than half. That might have helped. But Jesus Christ, it is, like, starting to give me ulcers with the acid in the... And the, and the lemon. If you want to see pictures from this episode, go to potablepictureshow.com. Give us some feedback. Get on our VIP line, 775-996-3986. You can also follow us on the Twitter, at Potable Pictures. You can see pictures there as well, not only of our podcast, but um, of our drinking travels and some of my views on films and actors and um, things like that. Next week, I'm not sure what movie we will be covering. It is possible that we will be uh, covering the movie Sicario. Um, next week, that is not the movie the Sierra Nevada Movie Club will see, but it is possible that I will finally see that movie before it leaves the theater. I've been wanting to. And I don't think I have any other last words. Any guess, Heathen, on what the secret word is? It is a feeling that possibly... Adam Jones had it one time in his life, and also... Anger! That is not the secret word. Any last words? Hurt. Any, is that your last word? That was T another feeling. No, I have no other last words. Until next week, everybody, keep it wet. Happy harvest. All my neighbors are fast asleep And I can't find anything to drink Mackenzie's drank all the grain alcohol So I'm headed down the street to first call Me and the password
change it to stinky cock.